I'm excited. I actually want to hear stories you have because you've talked to everybody, I feel like. <laughs> we have. And we have stories. Oh, I love it. Oh my God, I love it. My name's Quincy. And my name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men from Theaterly. We are here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. Hello, Kevin. Uh, what a beautiful serenade on a Friday, Quincy. <laughs> on a Friday to kick off this beautiful episode that I know I'm very excited about. I am excited also for you because this is the first Glinda episode that we have done in a long, long time. Don't I know it. I've been counting the days since our last. <laughs> what was our last? It wasn't Carrie St. Louis, was it? Yeah, Carrie St. Louis, oh my God, currently in Titanic. I know, I wanna go back and see it. I know, I wanna see her in it so bad because I, as we have discussed on this podcast, I live and die for Celine Dion. Have we discussed this on the podcast? I think, oh, maybe on a bonus episode, I think. I just love Celine Dion because I like, my mom listened to her a lot when I was younger. So sure. like I kind of just like grew up with her voice. And as we know, Carrie St. Louis can sing it all, so. I'm sure yeah. she sounds. I saw it at um, that first venue. It was at the Asylum, I think it was called. Yeah. And I was not familiar with Celine's catalog in the way that I have gleaned a lot of the gays in my life are. Yeah. But now, since seeing Titanic, I am much more familiar with the back catalog, not just the hits. Um, we have a lot to talk about. I do want to acknowledge the fact that we are recording this on December 9th, which is the day that Adina Menzel's documentary, Which Way to the Stage, drops on Disney+. Plus. I also want to acknowledge the fact that I went to the world premiere while Kevin was in Paris, and I did in fact get to interact with Adina Menzel. You sure We're did. We're not going to talk about that right now because we don't have time for it. But we are recording a Just Us episode yeah. in a couple days. Yeah, we have a lot of opportunities to talk about that in the next couple of days, and I would love to talk about it after we both watch the documentary. But I will say, listeners, it's fantastic. I can't wait to of, watch it. A lot of tears, a lot of Walker, which is fun, a lot of co-parenting discussion. It's really cool. A lot of funny stuff. She goes into her childhood. It's great. I loved it. I will probably watch again before we discuss. Um, Kevin, we saw Kimberly Akimbo last night. Yeah, we sure did see Kimberly Akimbo last night. What was your impression? Because I saw it off Broadway, but this yeah. was the first time you saw it. So talk to me. So I went in having heard a few of the songs before and I knew the like one sentence summary of like, this is a show about a teenager in like a 72 year old's body. And I knew that it was like, you know, kind of like a no day but today, live while you're young kind of message, but like that was it. So I had a really fun time discovering the kind of like, details and like colorful bits of the show. I think it's like a really, it's such an interesting show to me and we're gonna talk about this more with our guest who is Ali Mazi. We have yet to say her name. But it's such an interesting show to me because it like deals with pretty heavy subject matter but also manages to be so funny and joyful at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think that it's, we. you said this to me last night and it, I kept thinking about it on the way home is like it is kind of in that next to normal vein where it's like it deals with like illness and family issues and all of these things but in a way that's so relatable because it's like oh yeah like I either like have parents or no parents who who have yeah. these problems or like I know or I was a teenager who felt this way mm -hmm. and especially being I think like as theater kids like relating so much to, like the show choir quartet was really fun too oh yeah Quincy do you know if like 
I had a hard time telling the ages of the the rest of the teenagers. Were they like, like are they like actual the kids? Show? Oh, I know they're teenagers. I would the say they're of age. I would guess that they're all 18, at least. They're like young, young people young, young, young. who just look Justin younger. Cooley, Seth, the boyfriend. Oh my God. Who is the recipient of Drama Desk, Outer Critics Circle, and Antonio nominations, as well as a Theater World Award and Ooh. the Clive Barnes Award in recognition of his performance as Seth in last season's off-Broadway production of Kimberly Akimbo. He was also a part of the 2021 National High School Jimmy Awards Ooh. and was featured as a finalist. Justin hails from Kansas City, Kansas and is thrilled to be making his Broadway debut. Oh my God. I did not know he was a Jimmy kid. That makes a lot of sense to me. Jimmy's kid. The Jimmy Awards have really given culture so much. They really, yeah, we've, it's so funny to be like a 31 year old person being like, thank God for the Jimmy Awards. But <laughs> I do feel like, thank God for the Jimmy Awards. Um, No, Kimberly and Kim was really great. I I was thinking as we were watching it, I was like, I do love this genre of musical where small family, mental health, drama, <laughs> illness stuff, I like the fun homes, the next to normal. Yeah, it's like yeah. a very cozy environment. Yeah, it's nice it. to see your life reflected on stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. It's like, Sitting oh, next to you yeah, last cool. night, I was like, ah, yes, daddy issue. <laughs> yeah, <right>. Before we... <laughs> We do have a lot to talk about, so let's run through our guest of honor's resume, Miss Ali Mazi. Okay. Ms. Ali Mazi started her Broadway career back in 2002 when she went into Hairspray on Broadway as Brenda, famously the nicest kid who gets pregnant. <laughs> How many months, Brenda? Just nine, Corny. Just um, nine. Best laugh in the show. Honestly, like, first laugh in the show. So, like, big, important sure. feature for Ms. Mazi. Um <laughs> I think she also went out on the tour of she Hairspray and right. she understudied Penny on the tour, which like, uh. If there's footage of that, would Probably a terrific Penny. In 2007, she was back on Broadway in one of my personal faves, Cry Baby, original Broadway cast as Lenora, Quincy. I mean, she has blessed us with so much. After Cry Baby, also in 2007, she made her wicked debut on Broadway as the Glinda standby before moving up to principal Glinda in 2008, taking over for Ms. Kendra Kassebaum. I feel like we should put a disclaimer that we tried our best to keep this timeline straight, but Miss Ali Mazi has been bouncing around Wicked a lot in her career, so this is our best attempt at putting that timeline together. She is like a Jenny Denoya Glinda to me. She is like, <laughs> oh, you need me? I'm here. Because she's been in and out of Wicked like seven times, six times. So after replacing Kendra Kassebaum in 2008 on Broadway, in 2010, she replaced Kendra in the San Francisco production of Wicked. In February 2012, she is out on the first national tour of Wicked as Glinda, replacing Katie Rose Clark. In October 2012, she is back and Wicked on Broadway, replacing Chandra Lee Schwartz. And then in 2013, she is back in Wicked yet again, celebrating the 10th anniversary with Ms. Lizzie Mendez, replacing Katie Rose Clark. What a run in Wicked the Musical. And what a way to end her run in Wicked the Musical. For right? the time being, who knows? You go out on, a, on an anniversary year, that's great. Yeah. In 2018, she joined the cast of the Hello Dolly revival on Broadway as a replacement I forgot this for happened. Ernestina. I also forgot this happened. Um, makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Like, I <laughs> wish I had seen her in that because she was probably yeah. <laughs> so 
So good. <laughs> and then, of course, in 2021, last year, she did the off-Broadway production of Kimberly Akimbo as Patty, Kimberly's mom, and has now transferred that production to the Broadway, opened the production, rave reviews. Rave reviews. Rave reviews. I reviews. think it's the best reviewed show of the season so far. I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah, mm -hmm. and understandably so. On top of all of her Broadway and touring credits, she also has tons of off-Broadway and like concert chops. She was in The Golden Apple. She was in It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman at City Center. She was in Showboat at the New York Phil. She did Little Shop of Horrors at the Muni. I mean- I would have loved to see. I, like literally every role that I read of hers, I'm like, oh, oh, she was probably great. Oh, I wish I could have seen that. Um, <laughs> And I feel like she is somebody who, like you look at her resume and it's like everything on there is like such a perfect fit. Like she really feels like she has a very like representative resume mm -hmm. of like what mm -hmm. her skill set is. Feels like she knows who she is as a performer and is going in for the roles that she knows she will be successful in. Correct, yeah. She feels very aware of her strengths of which there are many. Mm -hmm. I also love just in general, I love Allie's voice because it is so, we talk all the time about how like we have kind of left the age of like the inimitable voices. And to me, Allie is somebody who like really has a special and unique tone to her voice that is really fun to listen to like on a score like Wicked where we're so used to hearing it a certain way. Well, I love that she can do the contemporary musical theater sound, but can also tap into the operatic of mm -hmm. it all in a very authentic and genuine way that sounds so delicious. Delicious is a perfect word for it. I'm so excited for this. Ali Mazi, I think, uh, well, we'll save we'll save the compliments for when she's in the room, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give people their flowers when they're present. All right, Ali Mazi, thank you so much for joining us today on Sentimental Men. Truly, this is like a dream come true. I'm very excited right now. Um, it's a dream come true, true for me too. I was just saying before we started, I'm really excited to talk about Wicked because I haven't talked about Wicked in a while. Okay, so we start every interview with how did Wicked come into your life? What is your first ever touch point with the show? I saw the show here in New York. I saw the original cast. I just got a ticket and saw the original cast. And I didn't really know, I did not know how it ended, which was awesome. <laughs> Because yeah. I don't really feel like there's any spoilers anymore, right? But like no. the alphabet situation at the very end, when she just comes back, I yeah. gas, I gas because I didn't know. I thought because, yeah. in, you know, because in the movie, she goes away. And so I remember that because I like once you see it, like that reaction goes away because you know how it ends. And I just, I didn't know. And it was like magical. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that was my I first experiences or memory. At that point, were you sitting watching the show thinking like, oh, I could be in this, like I want to pursue this? Or was it just kind of like, here's this new show that's this hot ticket? Yeah, I, if I remember correctly, I don't, I didn't walk into it being like, okay, I'm watching this for like a future audition or I'm going in for the show. I literally just went in as, you know, a fan of The Wizard of Oz and what I'd seen um, yeah. about the show so far and just go see a good Broadway show. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't watch it in any sort of lens of like, oh, I could do that. You know, yeah. I don't remember why. After seeing it, did you shift your lens? I don't know if I was like, okay, this is the show I'm gonna do one day. I mean, I'm sure I, I'm sure I had to clock. Oh, here's a part with an awesome soprano role who gets to mm -hmm. be really funny. 
So I'm sure I clocked <laughs> that, but I don't I don't have a memory of walking away being like, I'm going to like play Glinda one yeah. day or audition for this show. I actually feel like it was more like my voice teacher at the time who was like, you are right for this role. But you know, it's interesting. I don't know if it's because I'm a brunette or what, but my agent mm. at the time and I think casting was going to call me in for both Elphaba and Glinda eventually. Yeah. Like this wasn't, because yeah. you asked me like when I saw the show, but eventually, which I just think is confusing for- But that makes sense to me because you can belt alley yeah i can belt i don't know if yeah. you i don't know if like i don't know if i want to belt that role eight times a week i'll tell you that much <laughs> <laughs> um because that's remember. epic it is epic yeah and i think i remember it's funny you mentioned the hair color because i remember um donna vivino told us that initially when she was trying to get in for the show she was blonde at the time uh-huh. and and they were like oh glinda glinda and she's like no 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 like i i can sing yes. alphabet better than i can sing that but it, they were so stuck on her physical appearance which is so funny <laughs> i know right because the magic of theater is like I know wigs but I just think at that time that's just maybe how they were looking at things so I actually (laughs) was the one that made the choice to to me and my voice teacher was like I think I'm just I think I'm more right for Glinda so I went in with that Mm -hmm. when I first auditioned for it so for my personal knowledge have you fully sung an alphabet song like full out uh in a concert like with a symphony I did see I have live in front of an audience I have sung the wizard and I yeah what's so funny is I picked that song with this particular symphony because I think I already been with that symphony and I'd sung popular and stuff before so I picked the wizard I being like I think that'll be like the easiest one and <laughs> and then after, every alphabet says that's the hardest one well I know and so then that's what I found out after the fact that's the song where I feel like I remember talking to Julia Murney and she's like oh no she's like I don't know what it is about that song that's hard I just picture like no good deed and like defying gravity where it like sits up there I was like at least with like the wizard and I I don't have to like sit up top for like incredibly the whole song long round time but a lot of alphabets back in the day they were like oh this is a song where I can figure out if I'm going to be able to do the rest of the show or not like where's my voice today right <laughs> yeah well it especially out of the gate like that it was really fun though to sing that song it was just fun to sing an alphabet song Right. So when it came time to go in for Wicked, because you started off as a standby on Broadway, right? Yeah, yeah. So talk us through that audition process. So I was living in California at the time. I'm from Southern California. So after college, I had, well, after college and after I had already done Hairspray at that point, I had moved back to Mm -hmm. um, like the LA area. Mm -hmm. And um, there was either an LA, I think it was when the LA company was going to do a sit down production. So a lot of us were auditioning for it out in Los Angeles. So I was under the assumption I was auditioning for the Los Angeles company of Wicked. Mm. I gotta be honest too. I gotta reflect because it's, it's, I told you it's been a while since that audition. <laughs> I don't know. My agent at the time either didn't submit me or didn't like, because I had only done my first professional, like was Hairspray the Musical and I was in the ensemble. And I, yeah. th- and I think maybe he just thought that's what I was. The fun, love and free will and Brenda. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I actually, so I, my agent didn't get me an audition for Wicked. Mm. And so I went to an open, call and sat in the room. I take matters into my own hands. I did. And then, you know, Bernie tells he's there who cast me in Hairspray. So he's reading through the names and then mm. he goes, Allie, Mozzie, Allie, what are you doing? Get in there, is what he said. <laughs> As if like, of course I could have had an audition. I didn't need to come sit in line, you know? <laughs> And I honestly, I don't remember. I must have sung from the show. I must have sung Glinda stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got, you know, called back multiple times. And it's just it's so funny that my agent just didn't see it. Didn't see it. Right. Yeah. You know? But Was the process like you got called back and then immediately you booked? Because we hear a lot of times that people audition and call back and then they don't hear for a long time. And then randomly they get a phone call. No, I didn't, I, mine wasn't like that. I had multiple auditions in a row. And I actually think like, I actually had to do a dance audition 
Mm-hmm. Even though I was, I wasn't going in interested in, in in this particular show being in the ensemble. At that point, I made the decision I was yeah. going to be Glinda. So even when I went to the dance audition, I very much was like, "I'm I'm going to be how Glinda would do this," you know. Mm-hmm. And so I remember making through a dance call, and then eventually, my I had a quote unquote final callback mm-hmm. at there was some like big dance convention or something in town, and so Telsey had to get this old church that has had auditions before. But like my final audition with like Joe Mantello and casting. It was in it was in a church and uh, I did my popular stuff like on like the pulpit area, <laughs> oh and I remember making a joke about it and, and like like making a joke about like oh gosh yeah church and and I could tell I could tell Bernie Telsey was like not amused because I'm sure he was not happy and I love Bernie Telsey so I say this with love. But yeah. I could tell, like, he was not amused with my, like, <laughs> thing, like my humor about it. But I quickly yeah. turned it into a joke, and I actually think I won the room over rather quickly, which was nice. I think I won the room over that day with my Glinda audition that I had gotten called back for. Now, the only thing was Stephen mm-hmm. Schwartz was not there that day. So they separately set up a time for me to meet with Stephen Schwartz in a rehearsal studio next time he was in town, which was in the matter of, like, a week or two. It was kind of quick. Yeah, all this stuff was in within like because everybody was in town, like the team was in town, so it was kind of quick. And was this before or after Crybaby? The standby gig was before Crybaby. And wait, I take it back about the Stevens Schwartz thing. That didn't happen until I actually took over the role. Anyway, after that church audition is when I got a call pretty quickly that they wanted me to be the standby in New York, and I was jarred by it because I wasn't prepared, yeah. and I drug my heels for like a good month about it. Um, mm, it wasn't like a, I'm going to do this on Broadway. It wasn't that I didn't want to do it. And it was the best thing I could have done for my life at that time. But I was with, I was dating somebody who wasn't thrilled about me moving to New York. Mm, and sure. I had an awesome therapist at the time who was just like, go to New York, go to New York kind of thing. And I just needed somebody to tell me yeah. that. And yeah. I went to New York and I stood by and that's when I met my now husband. And that, that was when the standbys mm. didn't have to be at the theater. I just had to be within a five block radius. Uh. And I lived with another Broadway gal, Cameron Adams. Uh, four blocks away. So we lived together. And then that's how I met my now husband. And I just would go on on days with him. And every once in a while, I get the call to be like, oh, you have to go on for Wicked tonight. I'd be like, okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think I had like a, I actually had an out for Crybaby. So I actually didn't finish my whole standby contract because Crybaby was in place. And um, I left gotcha. to do that. So you were working on Crybaby as you were standing by yeah, for Glinda. Yeah, totally. And so like uh, the Stephen Schwartz story, I feel like I feel like that didn't happen until they were ready for me to maybe take over the role. At some point, I had a one-on-one session in LA with Stephen Schwartz. It was just me and him and the piano player. And what's funny is he knew me because I did a reading of Snapshots once that he was mildly mm. involved with. And so when I walked in the room, he goes, Allie, he's like, I could have just told them it was okay. But like, I didn't know if he remembered. <laughs> Remembered me and I didn't mention it. <laughs> Which seems to be the theme of your, uh, right. of your first Bernie. Get in here. I know, I know. What are you doing? <laughs> You're like, of course you can be in Wicked. So what was that work session with Steven? You were just singing through the score? Yeah, I just did my audition material. I think I did popular. I probably did the, at that I don't know what they do anymore, but at that time, you sing the opening, let us be glad, let us be grateful, that whole thing. And then popular. And I do know the scene leading into popular and the scene where I think we used to call it like the cat fight scene in the second act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think I did that. I just remember him not really like saying much and he was friendly and my cell phone definitely went off in the middle of my audition. It was very quiet. I, I don't really know if he heard it. <laughs> anyway, it was like pretty quick and painless process. Yeah. It was just like, all right, let's do the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you were standing by, how did that experience compare to your prior performing experience? Like, was it 
completely brand new and like challenging or did it feel like you were ready for that? I mean, prior to that, when I had done Hairspray, I, I had understudied Penny Pingleton. So mm -hmm. I did know that process. I also knew from my Hairspray experience that when I joined the Broadway company, the show was already up and running. So I did know what it was like to get put into a show with something already existing mm -hmm. and being a little under rehearsed. I never ran You Can't Stop the Beat before I did, God. you know? So I knew how that process worked. And then at Wicked, I actually feel like I got like, I think I got like three weeks of rehearsal, which was great because. Yeah, that's and, rare. And <laughs> I was I was ready to go before those three weeks. And I think Kendra Kassebaum at the time, who was the Glinda, she was hoping for a personal day, but I, I didn't know this. And I think they were kind of waiting to see where I was going to be. And mm -hmm. so they were able to let her take a personal day because I was kind of ready early. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's always weird, right? Like to jump into a show like you, first of all, put in rehearsals are weird because you're the only one in costume. It's so like. <laughs> weird. Well, and you to me, see, you're one of the Glindas that I think really made the role your own and made a lot of unique, specific choices. Yeah. When did that start coming? Like when you were standing by, were you kind of doing your own thing or were you doing your best to fit into the mold that was built out for you? Yeah, I think I was kind of just fitting the mold because like the cast has like their rhythm and their, you know, but you know, I got to tell you, like there were times when I was standing by where Kendra hadn't called out in like a month and I, I hadn't been there that much and I came mm -hmm. in. Right. Because you didn't even have to be in the theater, so you weren't hearing it on the speakers. No, I didn't hear it every night. I mean, I would go, I guess I would, I had to have gone in for rehearsals from time to time, like just regular rehearsals. But like, I do remember two things. I remember one time my stage manager was like, maybe like just pop in a little bit more because it sometimes feels like you're doing a different show. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know what that meant. And to be honest, I feel like as an as an actor, I've grown so much since then. So I don't even know if my acting was any good when I was a standby, you know? <laughs> so I hadn't been there in a good month. And I'm coming down in the bubble. And I look over to like talk to the citizens of Oz. And I see a girl, Brianna Yacobone, who I've never met in my life. And then she sees me. She's never met me in my life. And we're just like having a moment on stage. And then I later... I heard her backstage after the opening number. She literally was like, who the fuck is Ali Mazi? <laughs> In the most like a friendly of ways, because she literally like, yeah. she hadn't, I think she might've been like a swing or a vacation swing at the time. So she hadn't been there much either. And we literally yeah, were just yeah. like, I don't know who you are. Now that being said, like that wasn't like hurtful to me. I thought it was hilarious. And we like have like got along quite yeah. well when we were at Wicked. But yeah. I just thought like, who the fuck is Ali Mazi? Like she was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> Okay, so when it came time to take over full-time, did you have to go in an audition again? I did go back in. I don't think I would make that same choice again necessarily because it's like, you guys know me and I and I had just coming off Cry Baby, which was a which was that was a tricky show, but it was a positive for me. But it was fine. I went in and like I found out, I mean, because you asked the question earlier, like, did I have a long waiting period when I auditioned and had to wait? And both times I went in, went for standby and went back in very quickly for it. I found out right away right away you know mm, they actually uh -huh. I was I had moved back to Los Angeles after crybaby and they flew me out to come just to get in front of the um, everybody again because you gotta mm -hmm. figure too even though I was the standby I wasn't there that long I maybe was there four months because I mm. left to do crybaby so I really don't know what creatives saw me except for the associates and they don't right, always right. at that time they didn't always make the final decision was playing Glinda full-time after you got a taste of it as standby was that a goal that you had after I think so I think it like when Crybaby closed like way earlier than I had hoped. Because it was kind of that hairspray formula too, right? So I'm sure at the time 
Crybaby was thought it was going to be a big hit. I mean, I guess so. I mean, it was a, we had the, some of the same writers and we had one of the same producers. So I think there was hope there. And it was a John Waters thing again, right. you know. Yeah. But, you know, when it closed, I definitely had that first moment as an actor. I hadn't been part of a quote-unquote flop or something like that before. So it's, it's it's a little devastating, especially that first time. And you're so there's like the creative part of it, which is like super sad and depressing. But there's also the financial part where you're like, mm -hmm. uh, I just got a really great apartment <laughs> and it's a lot of rent. And now I'm out of my job. So when yeah. Wicked came back up, I mean, there was the practical side of it, of like the relief I got booking that job financially was awesome. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And then I was just excited to get to play the role, like get to like be in Wicked. Like at that point, I came in right after the fifth, in when I took over, I came right after the fifth anniversary cast, like right after. Uh -huh. And it was like, it was a I don't thing. Know. Yeah, it was a thing. So it was like exciting. I was excited. I was super excited. And it kicked my butt at first because <laughs> that's a massive role, like physically. Like I lived in sweatpants and Uggs outside of <laughs> that. My husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he at some point went on contract ended. He's like, so are we done with sweatpants and Uggs because... <laughs> And there was even a time where like the weather started to change and I was wearing like sweatpants shorts and Uggs. So he goes, oh, I see we switched to... Sweatpants shorts. And I was just like, you don't understand. I was like, the, the dress is heavy. I'm in heels. I'm like, my body just needs to be in my comfort clothes outside of it. It was yeah. hard at first to, to build up the physical stamina. It was never vocal stamina, but it was like physically to do eight shows a week was, you know, a thing. Yeah. So that was one of our questions. What was the most difficult part about the role for you? And it was the physicality, not the vocals? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that role in particular, I think because of the weight of probably that big dress and, and my, my feet hurt often in that show, the bottoms of my and feet. And on the rake too. Yeah, I just, for me, yeah. my feet bothered me a lot. But I always said with that role, I would be mo more likely to have to call out over a physical injury than anything vocal, which was pretty much always the case. Like, yeah, because when I was on the road, I actually, I broke my foot. I don't think I missed. What's that story? It was literally like before she goes up for Defying Gravity and I'm on stage and I just have to step down one step. And it's a little <laughs> dark, but I definitely like rolled my ankle. And I grew up playing like a lot of sports. So I'm like, when I roll an ankle, I'm I'm like, oh, it'll go away. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's and fine. then <laughs> and I'm like limping around on it and I'm still doing the show. And finally, the physical therapist on the road was like, watched me because I tried to hide it. Watched me walk away from her table one day. She goes, Is that how you're walking in real life? I said, Yeah. He goes, She goes, uh-uh. And she made me go see a doctor and I got an x-ray and my foot was broken. <laughs> and I say the thing was like my contract on tour, I think, was only like three months. So I really mm, didn't right. want to like not do the show and extend yeah. that contract any longer. I just was like, I really want to just do this contract. So I just kind of well, and I weirdly have like a, I resonate with you on tour because I grew up in Hawaii and they announced that the tour was coming. And when they announced you must have been on tour or something, because I had some perception of I'm seeing Ali Mazi and then you left. I think that was an enticing part of getting people on tour because it was going to San Francisco. It was going to Vegas and Vegas is that was the brand new theater in Vegas and it was going to Hawaii. I was on it right before then and we definitely went through like San Diego and stuff, which is close to where I grew up. If I could have picked an perfect chunk to do that tour it would have been when they were in Hawaii because <laughs> I love Hawaii <laughs> was there a point in your journey with Wicked where you're like maybe I should hang up the shoes and not be doing this anymore or was it amazing you loved it the entire time if you look back at like when I did it my longest contract was only nine months only nine months because I did it mm. nine months when I come back and took over I did nine months and then I made the choice to leave oh and then I they called it and I got to do the last two months of San Francisco that company which San is cool Francisco. And then that company was over. And then at some point I got a phone call and asked if I wanted to go out on the road for three months. I was like, great. And then mm. at some point,
point there was like a break and they were like, do you want to come back to Broadway? I was like, great. Like there were, I actually probably, I'd have to do the math, but if I looked at the director, I probably had more time off in between than actual my mm. wicked contracts. Mm. Short, healthy stints. Yeah. Yeah. And that was <laughs> honestly, that was the great thing about my journey with it too. Is like, I actually feel like I never got burnt out. Mm. I always left still loving the show and loving the role. Right. So yeah. I was just so glad when they would call me back. I was just like, I love I love it. I secretly hoped during the pandemic when the shows were coming back and people were like, they were uh -huh. going deep in the bench. Yeah. I was like, I know I'm going to be a little too old for this role now, but if somebody called me <laughs> to do around. Glinda, I know. I was like, if somebody called me to do Glinda for a week, it would be like dreams come true. I would have loved to jump in wow. for like yeah. a week, you know? Yeah, we would have run. <laughs> 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 I would have loved it. I I, also, I love that role. It's like, I just, I love it, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's got to feel nice too, knowing that like you are thought of in such a way by capital W Wicked that like, they're like, oh, we need somebody for a few months. We can call Allie because we know she can jump in and she can like get right back into it. Like that's got to feel It's nice. nice. And there is something like familial about it, which I've always, right. like, out of all the work I've done in my professional life, like, I've spent a ton of time at Wicked, so it does feel in some way as, like, a, a family to me coming in and out of it, so it was always good news to hear that from them and to be thought of maybe in the same way that I'm part of the quote-unquote Wicked family. Mm -hmm. Well, and you also are, I think, part of a handful of women who played the role early on who helped craft the character into what it is today, build that mold that now all the girls are slotting into. Is that true? I was going to say, is that true? Because I was like, Kristen Chenoweth is like Queen Bee. So I'm just like, you probably know more than that than I, I do. Your era of Wicked feels like they were allowing the actresses to make a lot of choices that maybe they've tightened down on since. Oh, okay. Which leads to our question. Did you ever get any slaps on the wrist for choices that you were making? Like, were they like, hey, rein this in? I got written up once. <laughs> for what? It was... Rightfully so, but like when I was, when honestly, when I was in the San Francisco company, the creatives, because it was the last two months, a lot of the associates just weren't coming out anymore. There wasn't like such a tight rain of people looking over you. And I don't remember exactly what I did. I definitely during popular, like it was an awesome audience. And I definitely, as a joke, like left the stage and like came back and like left alphabet hanging for a second because the audience yeah. was just feeding <laughs> off of it. Yeah. And it was definitely, it wasn't a, it wasn't a premeditated, like, like, I'm going to do this today. It was, like, very in the moment. Yeah. And and then, you know, I remember going off the stage, and my stage manager was like, ha, ha, get back on stage. And then I like, go back on. And then I remember leaving the stage after that number being like, oh, man, I wonder if I'm, I wonder what's going to happen about that. And I definitely <laughs> got a little lovely thing that was actually – look, I've never been written up in, in my life before or since. Um, okay. <laughs> And it was actually, as far as getting written up goes, like pleasant. They were like, they were actually very complimentary. It came from the <laughs> higher ups and, and I won't say who it was, but it came from the higher ups. I get like more of like a pr producer-ish level. They were like, it was very complimentary about like what I've like, what a great employee I have been and like all these positive <laughs> things. So they're actually very surprised that they're having to have this conversation <laughs> with me, you know, but I will say that moment in my time in San Francisco, not having, you know, as many people around with, with notes, I got to experience explore in ways that maybe I couldn't have maybe done in New York where the associates and you know people pop in all the time yeah I feel like the associates are like very much like this is this is how the role is played now and like these are the beats that you need to hit but I do feel like there was that those couple of years where like you and like 
Megan Hilty, like there were like a handful of Glinda's that really got to like run with it and like find jokes as opposed to just landing the ones that were there. Yeah. Do you know what I wonder about that time? Like, and because you mentioned Megan and I know she got a lot of time with Joe Mantello. And mm-hmm. I do remember a moment where Joe had, you know, he's come in and out while I was still there. And I do remember getting at one point his stamp of approval just in general. And and when that happened, I feel like the reins got loosened up from a lot of the note giving. I Now listen, I still got plenty of notes and rightfully <laughs> so, they had to rein us in. Like popular could be a, its own show if you wanted it to be. Like, you know, <laughs> so, you know, they, they still need, you still need to be in certain parameters. But I do remember feeling like I got Joe's stamp of approval and I kind of got left alone on some of the, probably the things that you're like, oh, that's part of Allie's performance. That yeah. yeah. What do you mean yeah. by stamp of approval? Can you talk a little bit more about what? I think he was just just okay with what I was doing. He was fine with it. You know, like when mm-hmm. I scream in the mm-hmm. pillow, like nobody ever said I couldn't do right. it. But like Joe was like, he didn't have a problem with it. He didn't have a problem yeah. with yeah. with maybe, I mean, I can't tell you specifically, it's been a while since I've done the show and, and it's not like I think about my performance often, but like, um, <laughs> but like, I'm sure things I were doing that were a little bit different. He came and he was like, okay, thumbs up. It was that yeah. easy. Joe just comes and yeah. checks in and be like, great, uh, do this, this, great. Okay, and then bye. Yeah, yeah. W- one of our listeners asked, how does she feel knowing that she's known as the Glinda who screams in the pillow? Isn't that funny? I love it. I love that people like responded to that moment. It's like... That it's lived on. Do you know what's funny is I can't remember what other show I was doing at some point and I had a moment where I wasn't even thinking about Wicked and I, I was going to make a thing of screaming in the pillow. It's just fit for the character. And I was like, I can't do that again. I already did that and everybody knows I screamed in the pillow. I can't ever scream in a pillow again. Yeah, that can't be the signature. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is funny, because I feel like you could work that into Kimberly Akimbo. It would work for your character in Kimberly. Uh, I did it once in a rehearsal. We were just exploring with that opening beat that Patty has where she's talking to her baby in the camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. we were just playing one day. I was trying to shake things up. And uh, there's moments where she gets like frazzled. And I definitely grabbed the pillow and I screamed at it. And I was just like, but I was just like, we're not, well, not going to do that. But, <laughs> but it would work. I think Patty could do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you are one of the earliest Glindas that I can picture optioning up mm-hmm. and no one mourns the wicked mm-hmm. was that an option that was given to you or is that something that you took upon yourself to do I think I did it because Kristen Chenoweth did it to be honest mm-hmm. and then I think I even optioned up on the end of um, thank, thank goodness. goodness but there's like a F or something in there that I've had seen or heard Megan Hilty do it's like a little touch note right at the end yeah it's really high yeah. it's actually higher than the more, high. the more in the wicked one and so I would do that I think it was when I was a standby and Stephen Aramis was there and I think they were just Stephen Aramis was just like it's not really like necessary like we don't we don't need it you know but for me I was just thrilled to get to sing soprano stuff that I was like I'm gonna do all the options you know and who knows maybe Kristen had done it because I know she likes to mess around up there too you know so I was like okay yay yay you know yeah yeah (laughs) do you feel like I something I Quincy's probably so sick of hearing me say this but I am constantly saying that I feel like a lot of my favorite belting voices also have very strong soprano registers. Is that something that you, A, identify with, and was there, like, one that came before the other? Uh, I think at, at heart I'm, like, a true soprano, you know? But I'm curious to know, like, for you, like, what is it about that quality on these sopranos with the belt voice that, like, you respond to? I feel like um, maybe I'd be able to answer your question 
It feels like there's a technique there that allows them to belt in a healthy way. It's like taking ballet before you take jazz. You know what I mean? It's like totally. there's like a foundation there. But I'll no, say this. I'll say this about being a soprano, at least the way I maybe I use my voice. So I can't really speak to anybody, how anybody else does about me. But like, no, yeah, yeah. I think like the way I can maneuver my mix in there mm -hmm. to bridge belting and soprano stuff, I feel like being... Soprano the way I trained is like is is helpful. So like mm -hmm. a on days when I'm tired and I'm just like I'm gonna sing in a mix and and I don't think anybody's gonna know the difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's funny. I find like if I'm doing a really belty role, like vocalizing in my soprano high stuff helps, you know. And then vice vice mm. vice versa. If I'm doing something super yeah, sopranoy, cool. I'll make I'll I'll do some really like witchy like belty noises to to get some pinginess up oh, top. Oh, that's interesting. You know. I think it's kind of like if you liken it to like maybe like a dancer who's like always doing the same turn on like a right leg every night. Like they got to keep working that left leg on their off time or things yeah, are going to get yeah. off balance, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I love that analogy. <laughs> so now that you've had distance from your time with Wicked, when you look back on your whole journey, what are the memories that still stand out the most? I mean, outside of Wicked, like that's when I met my husband when I was a standby, you know? And then, you know, like I keep in touch with a lot of girls. Like one of my best friends I met, it was Nicole Parker. She came in and we found out and like, like I talked to her almost every day on Marco Polo. Like she's, and we had never met <laughs> and we had never met until we did Wicked. And what's crazy about that is we found out we grew up like 20 minutes from each other and then she got to chatting about like her life and her mom and I paused and I was like wait 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 I was like your mom I was like I asked what she did for a living and I was like I think I met your mom because the ENT I went to growing up had I'm gonna I'm gonna get this wrong because she wasn't an assistant but she um mm -hmm. she she worked side by side with him and Nicole's mom Dee Parker used to talk about this daughter she has who's going to be a Broadway star one day kind of a thing. <laughs> and Dee Parker is like very memorable. I love Dee Parker. She gives the best hugs. Uh -huh. So finally I was like, wait, I've met your mom. Is your mom work with um, Dr. Lombardo? I think it was his name. She goes, yes. I was like, she used to brag about you all the time. That is so funny. And, and of course, Nicole was like embarrassed and appalled and like, I'm so sorry, you know, but like, so like that's super memorable. And like a lot of girls I, I keep in touch with. I just had dinner with Julia Murney the other night and I met her. She was my very yeah. first alpha ball when I was a standby, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so those friendships that I've made with a lot, of, specifically the alpha buzz that I played opposite, because I wish I knew the Glindas better, but I didn't work with the Glindas. So Right. Unless we see each other outside of work or like every once in a while at an audition or something like that. I mean, I'd have to really like sit with that question. But I do think no, like good. the relationships have have like stood the test of time. Yeah, that family yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So the question we ask every Wicked actress, mm. are you a no one mourns the Wicked, a popular, or a thank goodness Glinda? It can mean whatever you want. All we ask is that you explain why. <laughs> I'm always going <laughs> to gravitate towards the soprano stuff, I think, with that role. So, like, because are you talking with No One Mourns the Wicked? Like, let us be glad, let us be grateful, like the whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ugh, I just loved, loved singing that. Living up there. Oh, my God, I loved it. And then getting to end on a really high note. Like, all the soprano, don't get me wrong, I, I had fun playing popular, but, but, like, I feel like for me, it's always been a rare occasion that I get to actually sing soprano stuff right. um that like that's one of my favorite things about playing that part was getting to kind of live up there you know yeah so probably that that opening number no one mourns no one mourns the wicked and what a great entrance yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Okay, switching gears into Kimberly Akimbo. First of all, congratulations. We're like best reviewed show of the season so far. That's I amazing. know. I, I oh my so. gosh, I know. We're having so much fun. We're having so much fun at Kimberly Akimbo. And this is like, I would say, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but this is like. We went last night. We were there last night. Okay, so it, P.S. I feel like my last like three performances, I've gone in the white room like multiple times where I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know my words. What is happening? But wouldn't you like say like this part is like very different from Glinda, right? Like she's just like. Uh, very different, but like the the comedy beats are still there. Like you see I, little yeah, I have a theory. Of it. I have a theory. Oh, okay, okay. I think if I can gush about you for a second, I think something that, <laughs> that I love about your performances is that you really balance like the strong comedy with like a very genuine heartfeltness in like the sadder or like more serious moments and I think that certainly you get the chance to do both of those in Kimberly Akimbo and it's like such a a good contrast and like such a good showcase for you so well and the show itself is so interesting because it's it deals with heavy subject matter yeah it characterizes pretty horrible people yeah. i think oh my god well isn't that interesting like i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to let you talk i don't mean to i'm going to interrupt because i'm no, curious no, no. about just that like it's a heavy subject matter horrible people but manages to be so funny and joyful at the same time like there were so many moments where i'm like i i hate especially your character and the father But then I feel so much, like, I feel so bad for your character. And I can also tell that as a mother, you love your daughter a lot, but you don't necessarily know how to love her. Does that make sense? I think that everything you said was the intention and was something that was really thought out specifically when we transferred from the Atlantic before we got to Broadway. Mm -hmm. That that these aren't... Because I saw it at the Atlantic, too. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to tell me your own opinion, but but I think, hopefully, maybe maybe we like Patty a little bit more now in the sense that, like, we kind of get where she's coming from and she's not just, like, mean to be mean. You know what moment really resonated more this time, which I'm not even sure if it was in the off-Broadway because I didn't clock it the first time, is when Kimberly turns 16 that, like, oh, she turned 16, that means that, like, technically this could be her last year. I didn't even get that in the off-Broadway version. I didn't get why her birthday was a big deal. And then last night I was like, oh, shit. And I could see it on your face that that's why you were so, like, hesitant to celebrate it. You know, isn't that interesting? Like, um, because I would say, like, there's, like, one thing that got added, I think, that helps that. Like, Deborah comes home, comes back, uh, Bonnie Milligan's character, and she's like, hey, Patty, you know, it's 12.30, you know what day it is? And I was like, it's Friday. She goes, it's not just Friday, it's Kim's. And she starts to say birthday, but I cut her off and I say, I know what yeah, day yeah. it is. And that, those two little, tiny little lines, I know what day it is, didn't exist at the Atlantic. And uh, for me as an actor, it was so incredibly helpful. But I also think probably maybe it was helpful for audience members too. Totally. Yeah. Kim mentions like at the beginning, kind of like brushes past like, oh yeah, it's like 16 to 18. And it's kind of like it, it sneaks that information yeah. into your ear. Yeah. That line, so that then that, when you find out she's 16, it's like, oh, it's she's reached that moment. Yeah. That line existed at the Atlantic. So it could be one of those things like, oh yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It's yeah. interesting to hear that like you were able to track it better. There's a lot more nuance in the Broadway production, I think, than I was able to clock in the off-Broadway production. Yeah, yeah. That really adds a layer of depth to it. I'm curious, what are the backstage dynamics? Because there's a lot of young (laughs) cast members in this show. So as I was watching last night, I was like, I wonder how they're interacting backstage. Because it's it's a small house. The theater's small. And in that particular theater, 
on the first floor is like me, Bonnie, and um, Vicky on first floor dressing rooms. And then you go up a flight mm-hmm. and you've got Justin who plays the young kid who's like I think 19 and, mm-hmm. and Steve who's of a similar age to me. And then up one more flight is the quote unquote teenagers. So I was just like, all right, if I want to go <sighs> hang with the teenagers, I got to hike my butt up like two massive flights of stairs. <laughs> so I actually feel like like in terms of like backstage hangs, they don't exist like they like they did back at the Atlantic where we were all sharing a dressing room. But, like, I have to Mm. say, like, thankfully, it's actually a really great group of people to put together. I think, like, this isn't – I'm not just saying it just to say it. I do feel like every – actually, everybody gets along really great in this company. I mean, there's definitely – the other day I was referencing some old, like, football halftime show to Steven. And I was mentioning, (laughs) like, the artist. And he was like, oh, yeah, I remember that, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I didn't realize how seen – I, I, I was like, oh, I feel so seen right now because I didn't realize how many times I might start talking about something that the kids 20 years young from me have no reference point to. And right. so like, I could bring something up and be like, and for some reason, I feel like because there's more of them than us, like the conversation can mm-hmm. gear towards like what's going on yeah. current in, in current life, life yeah. you know, which is like fun for me. Like it keeps me up to date with like you know, mm-hmm. social media and like, yes. like, you know, just technology and um, like who's cool right now, you know? Um, yeah. But look, like we're at different phases in our life. So I'm not going out with him after the show. Like I come home and I go to sleep so fast because my kid wakes up super early in the morning and that's when I get to mm-hmm. like hang out with him before school. So it's like we yeah, are just yeah. in different places in our life. But it's fun for me to yeah. kind of watch them from afar because it makes me reflect on my own time, like making my Broadway debut at their age and how fun that was. And I just, it's like, I think they're having a lot of fun and I'm so excited for them, you know? Yeah. That's a fun show for, for a debut. Like that's a, it's a great it feels show. Like, a, yeah. a, like a fun, like, it's not like you're making your debut in Les Mis and it's like you're going to work <laughs> every night and like dying. It's I know. Like, it's like a fun. <laughs> I mean, and then what did you say too? Because it's such a small cast that like these kids, like they have like these like. They all really get to shine. They, they do. They all have like these little mm-hmm. individual like personalities on stage that, that makes them stand out in their own way. Like I don't think anybody's getting swallowed up in any sort of like epic ensemble which right. I'm not, I'm not putting anything down about that, but I just think like as mm-hmm. a, like a first Broadway show, they're like these, they're like principal. I think we're all on principal contracts over there, to be honest. Yeah, right. and they have their pictures on the side of the theater, and they're massive. And I was like, you guys don't yeah. understand how fancy this is, this is making your Broadway <laughs> debut right now with your pictures on the side of the building. I was like, that's epic. <laughs> yeah, wait, where's your picture on the side of the building? There's a little tiny picture. If you. <laughs> If you look at their, so if you walk by the theater and like, you know, where you see their massive faces on the side of the theater, face the theater, go to the right just a little bit and you'll see a little skinny picture of me and Steve and Bonnie and Vicki Clark, like a family, a family portrait. (laughs) I love that. Can you talk a little bit about being a mother and playing this mother on stage who's dealing with a lot of heavy things? I'm sure it's caused you to think about your own relationship with your kid. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, if I really sit with Patty's circumstances of the truth of she will lose her child before herself. And mm-hmm. I don't, I can't live in that place, like, constantly because, like, that's, if yeah. I sit, if Allie sits with that truly, that is, I... That is my biggest fear in my current life. Like if if I were to lose my child before myself, like that doesn't make sense to me and it is a fear, a fear. So like, you know, when I come home at night and my kid's sleeping, 
I definitely like the first, one of the first things I do. It's just instinctually I go. I want to. I, I just want to go watch him breathe for a minute and kiss his head and just like I have so much gratitude that I am getting this time with my kid in my life. You know, I don't. I know care. I know Patty's not a real person, but like I don't envy her circumstances in the play by any means. Now. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think like, look, there's probably like, let's take for example, like Patty has such a curse. She loves, like she curses and not a big deal. Like that. Now, Allie tries to be very mindful yeah. of her curse words around <laughs> her child. So there's actually, and like, let's say I think like Patty's manners are a little bit more, are more wild than in general than like Allie's. So it's very freeing. I love walking in the theater. It's also crazy how physically busted you are the entire time. I know. Isn't she just like the, isn't it just like, she's just like a mess. Like, like it's like so fun to play in some ways. Cause I can't imagine acting out in that particular way that Patty is for myself. Yeah. Um, I feel like far removed from that. I feel like you are a very physical comedian. And so was it a challenge to find the comedy in Patty without, with so much immobility being part of it? Yeah. I feel like the being, the thing that feels like I'm most immobilized by is the pregnancy actually. Like, cause Mm. when I, when I think. Oh, that's interesting. When I think, because she's. And you know, at the Atlantic, I don't know if you remember, but in that last scene, Patty does go into labor, and that switched. Mm. We're like a few weeks out from when the baby's actually due. But 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 basically, Patty's at the end of her pregnancy, and I think you know, for a lot of women, and even like during my own pregnancy, like you know, you're like you're, you can be very tired, and you're just you got a lot more weight on you, and like it's very different than like <clears throat> me having the body that I'm in now. So mm-hmm. that immobility of just like that big belly and and having another human being in your body, and then I. I think like the hands, I mean, this is like, I think even up to interpretation for the audience members, but it's like, does Patty really need those bandages on her hands? <laughs> oh, interesting. You know, because I do think there's times where I'm just like, I'm kind of using my hands okay. And then other times, <laughs> yeah. other times where, you know, while I do think she had carpal tunnel surgery, I'm definitely just like, I'm pretty sure she probably could have had those bandages taken off already. And she's loves the attention, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I don't think she's fully immobilized with with the hands. No, I just think it's such a cool show and like it does such a good job at depicting regular everyday people and all of their ugliness that comes with it in a non-glossy way that I think Broadway shows, even when they show like your everyday family, Broadway shows tend to glossy it up. And when you watch the show and like everyone is so deeply flawed, but there is so much love there and they're just trying their best to make it all yeah. work. Yeah. It's, it's that thing where like life is messy, right? Life is super, super messy. And I think we get to see a lot of this mess in these in these characters. And you know, like- And the acceptance of the mess from everyone in the family too is really beautiful, I think, actually. Yeah. I think it's their norm, right? And I also think like they are definitely people who, as flawed as they are, like they just get their- they get their shit out there. They they're very direct, mm-hmm. yes. which is different than my how I. How, that feels very different to me. So that was like a learning yeah. curve. Like they just it's one of those families. They're they, they're very direct, and they they may not handle the information great, but like they're gonna they're gonna say what they think and feel, and they're gonna get it out there. And um, I think that's just how they function. It's just it's their it's their norm. It's hard, right? I feel like we we only we we're raised we only know our own experience in life. So like this family doesn't know any different. Kim doesn't really know any different except like, you know, she's got her I wish song where she's like, I just want a simple home cooked meal with my family. Can I at least just have that, you know? But it's hard, I feel like as messy as our families can be, I mean, we still they're still our family. 
you know, (laughs) (laughs) for better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) And on that, we will wrap up this interview. Ah. On that happy note. Ali Mazi, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been so great. We just talked to Ali Mazi. I know, I can't believe it. This was another moment for me where I was like, this woman was a staple in my headphones in, I know. in my adult, you know, in my my younger years. Um, yeah, younger years. My younger years, so long ago. I know, I love that she kept like being like back in the day. And I was like. <laughs> I know, uh, I did relate when she was like, these children I work with do not understand my cultural references. I was like, that's me and Quincy too. <laughs> I was thinking that too. However, less drastic of an age difference and you're still out of touch. So what does that say? It does still feel like there's 20 years between us at times, like such as right now. No, it was good. And it was really interesting to hear from somebody who, as we talked about, was in the show before it hit the point where it was really like set. You know what I mean? Like she was Mm -hmm. able to really um, play in there, which I loved hearing. It's funny because I don't know why I assumed... I mean, you guys have this context. I don't. I was just doing the show. And in my mind, I'm like, of course she knows that, like, she was part of this era where, like, they're allowed to play around more. <laughs> I know. This, like, made-up era that we <laughs> we talk about it like it's in history books, but it's... it's that, like, brought me down to earth here. for a little bit. <laughs> it was humbling. She was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> But I think that's because, like, which I wish we could have talked, I wish we talked about a little more, but it's like, she feels like she has always had a clear sense of the, who she is and the type of performer she is and what she's good at. And that, to me, that confidence, I think, if I had to guess, probably translated and was able to be read by others around her and helped her with these roles that she's so clearly fit for. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, and she even said, too, she was like, going into that dance call, she was like, I had already decided I was going to be Glinda. Like, mm-hmm. like the, she has that, I don't want to say tunnel vision, but like the focus of like, no, I know where I'm headed. Clarity. Clarity, that's a great word. Yeah, it's like, I know where I'm headed, so I'm not going to get distracted by like the possibility of ensemble or the possibility mm-hmm. of Alphaba. Like she knew where she was headed. Um, before we wrap up, we should mention, I'm sure we'll talk about this in the Just Us episode that we're recording in a couple days, mm-hmm. but let's mention the wicked news that we got yesterday we, at the time of recording. Boy, did we get new. Well, yesterday and earlier this week, because we now have officially our Bach, Mr. Ethan Slater. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Terrific. I love it. We now have officially our Madame Marble. Future Academy Award winner, Michelle Yeoh. That's actually really exciting. It's really exciting. All the more reason to move up the timeline. My God, that really resonated with people. Yeah, it did. I'm glad to see that people agreed. Because we are having a moment for Michelle Yeoh right now. Who's to say? I'm sure she will still be having a moment because she's incredible. But who's to say how long this moment is going to last? Are we really going to push it off and hope that the moment is continuing through 2025? I'll stop there. And we officially have confirmation of our wizard, my personal celebrity crush, Mr. Jeff Goldblum, which it's just all coming together so nicely, I feel like. Yeah, I got to say, this cast is really, really exciting. Like, I I can complain all I want about the timeline, but the cast is... the. The project that they are assembling in front of our eyes is very exciting. It's super cool. So I will give them their flowers for that. I know. So now we just have... 
Nessa and Dillamond left. Do you think Marble's gonna get a song? I don't know. I'm like kind of scared. I think Michelle Yeoh is gonna bring that like scariness, She's intimidation very... to the role that we were kind of talking about Viola Davis might bring. Yes. I, it's giving that. It's giving that. I hope they give, I like joked about this on Twitter, but I de- genuinely hope that Michelle Yeoh has so much like physical strength as an actress. Like she's so known for like stunts and like action movies that I'm like, I don't know how, but I hope that she gets to yeah, do Kevin. something. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's. What if they like frozen Broadway Elsa her and take her out of the dresses and put her in pants? That'd be cute. That would be cute. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm so excited. And I agree. I think she's going to be really scary because she's so um stern. Like she has so much like stoic to her. You know how we were talking about Oscar vibes in the last episode? About The Wicked. addition of Michelle Yeoh to me feels makes like an this elevation. Wicked Project Oscar vibes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I like, love that really it's like a little... Like, oh, it's going to be deep. It's going to be deep. And I love a little return to the John M. Chu, Michelle Yeoh working sure. relationship. That feels nice. But it was cute. Did you see John M. Chu tweet? Somebody was like, tell us about the first day of filming. And he was like, I literally cried watching Ari and Cynthia watch, walk onto the set for the first time. And like, Aww. it was so magical to see like Alphaba and Glinda come to life for the first time. And it was like, ah, oh, makes me excited. If they're going to take this long to make the movie, I hope they're also producing a behind the scenes documentary. I hope so too. Anyways, this was lovely. Happy December, everyone. Happy December. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We will talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Sentimental Men from Theaterly. This episode was produced by Quincy Brown, Kevin Bianchi, and the team at Theaterly. Thanks to Anthony Abitangelo, the most swankified podcast editor in town. And another thanks to Michaela Reynolds for making us look downright osmopolitan in our new key art. And to Julia DeMarzo for our logo design. If you want to get in touch, send us an email. We love to hear from you all. You can reach us at sentmenpod at theaterly.com. That's T-H-E-A-T-R-E-L-Y. You can also connect with us across social media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at SentMenPod. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. How are you feeling after this Glinda app? I'm feeling good. You know I love to talk to the the pink girlies. <laughs> <laughs> to the pink.